family while I was in the for Fatale. So she used to help out by making posts to the group, giving for himself the and so on. And she also started learning how to code and build her programming skills, then attending meetups. And when the, the leadership team of the chapter saw how active she was, they invited her to be part of the extended leadership to help in organizing events and stuff like that. Now, fast forward a few months later, Chiamaka came upon this opportunity by a local company in Lagos called Fine Worker that helps prevent tech talents in the city and also those sort of They were looking for a community uh, manager. Right, so she applied for the job, went for the interview, and he found out that the experience she has gathered creating this community or helping grow this community from a couple hundred to 20,000 strong, which it is today, was exactly what this company needed. And so they hired her um, to become the support for their development. And fast forward to today, Chiamaka is currently a technical support engineer as part of the Microsoft team. Now, Global Circles uh, is a program where we have a number of initiatives, and I'll talk a bit about one of them today and give a great example around that. So, some of you may have heard uh, three months ago we announced a partnership with uh, Andela, I believe they are represented here in the room, where we uh, worked with them to train uh, developers or people who wanted to become developers to start a career in software development and become entry level uh, developers. And we piloted this in Nigeria and Kenya. As part of this pilot, we had about 5,000 people who wanted to get in and were applying for the program. And from these 5,000, we selected 2,500 people to take part in this program. And they went through a blue lane and a three months training uh, session where they took part of uh, online course content as well as in person uh, meetups for the training. And uh, the latest update I had on that is that as of today, there's been more than 2,000 certificates of completion that have been achieved as a civil service in that way. And it's things like this that gave us the encouragement to say that we're now going to expand this program into a second phase, starting with the people. But we also know that it's not just about the training. We need to close the loop by providing career opportunities for people who are looking for training. And that is why we've lined up two career fairs. One of them is happening here in Nairobi tomorrow the 23rd of November, and the second one is happening in Lagos on the 30th of November, where we have companies who are interested in engaging with entry-level tech talent to come and meet the developers who lead to this program. So something we're really excited about, if you're a company that is looking for tech talent and you want to take part, please uh, you know, follow the link on, on the screen. And if you're a developer out there who wants to start a career in tech and want to start this community, please also check out uh, the Next, I'm going to tell you a story about a company called Prep Lab. Well, before I tell you that story again, I'll set it uh, some context because Prep Lab is a member of our first cohort uh, of the NGO uh, program, an acceleration program that we run at the NGO. Now, we do this acceleration program where we provide high touch training, mentorship, and so on to tech entrepreneurs in a variety of areas. These areas include products, engineering, user experience design, data science, marketing, and so much more. Today we have about 11 of these acceleration programs running globally, and we continue to do what we can to bring the communities of startups in this program uh, together in one global community. So, Trap Labs basically were a group of students who had one mission. They wanted to build affordable medical devices. So they had this prototype, and with that prototype in hand, they applied to be part of this acceleration program. The acceleration program in Lagos was focused on uh, people who are using deep tech, IoT, machine learning, AR, VR, and so on, to solve relevant and local problems in the region. So they applied, and um, they were accepted. And basically, through this acceleration program, they had access to mentorship and resources, as well as their equity free grant that allowed them to convert their initial prototype into their first product called Real Grip. Really, really cool. Check it out um, online when you have a second. Now, Real Grip basically
is a non-invasive device that helps prevent thrombosis for people who are um, who have been administered with treatment in the hospital. So it's a normal problem that happens, or it's a risk that happens when uh, you're not able to check on the drip and maybe the drip runs out or something goes wrong, and it leads to very serious medical uh, complications that in case of cases can lead to death. So they developed this product for real drip that can help prevent that by continuously monitoring the flow, the flow rate, um, the volume dispensed, and also automating various aspects of the drip treatment process. So, using the engineering support and guidance and mentorship that they brought in that development program. So we're able to do different things like uh, build an automated reasoning algorithm, improve the signal processing capabilities of their solution, and leverage linear interpolation to get the mass flow rates that runs at the core of their infusion monitoring device. They also implemented using uh, things like GraphQL to connect these devices to dashboards that send automated notifications to medical staff, keep them updated on how this system works. And these notifications were not just in-app notifications, included things like SMS and making sure that it was really now, since um, they took part in the forum, I think they graduated a few months ago. They've developed this working prototype, which has been patented by the way. They've raised more than $6,000 in grant funding, and they have put seven clinics on their waiting list. They've secured ethical approval from the Nigerian Institute of Medical Research, and they are currently waiting on the final approval for their completion So we'll spend a few minutes talking about innovation. Now, at Facebook, we deeply believe that our own growth was the result of our effort to continue innovating and disrupt ourselves in various ways. We basically believe in building breakthrough technology that opens the world to everyone. And the approach that we leverage in building these technologies is as follows. The first work on the basic tech, the core technology itself and make sure that technology can solve problems. And then we take that technology and we develop it into a product that can reach and have impact in the lives of millions, maybe even billions of people. And once we see that people are beginning to benefit from this product, we then create a full ecosystem that involves uh, developers, businesses, and partners around that world. And one of those partners is Ongen based here in Kenya, and I believe, if I'm not wrong, Trevor, co-founder, should be somewhere in the audience. Now, Onger, um, they are one of our messenger platform development partners. And they also have a world-class live chat solution that enables businesses to manage customer interactions across multiple social channels like Messenger, Instagram, and WhatsApp. And they use it to serve clients from all over the world. Now, one of their clients is a company called FPS. FPS is an international forex broker that are present in more than 190 countries, and they have over 13 million traders in their platform, with 370,000 partners. As you can imagine, if you're running kind of business in forex, you're going to get the fire rate on all sorts of things, from questions of flipping forex rates to you know, standard customer service requests. And basically, they needed a solution that would unify all these requests into one platform across 13 languages. You can imagine what that means. And they also needed to be able to route these languages to the appropriate people in their support team who can speak the relevant language and respond to the customer in, in the language that they um, sent the request to. And you know, the thing with Forex is that, you know, literally time is money, right? Okay. One minute delay can result in loss of millions of dollars. So it's very important that you have to get back to the customer as soon as possible. So before um, they met with Hungary, they literally had to find members of their team who spoke multiple languages. And this person would manually triage all the incoming requests and forward them to people on their team who now, as you can imagine, this is a really different kind of life. 
bardzo innych kręgów. No, ale So, 
Imagine that community where it doesn't matter whether you're in Kisumu, Nairobi, Lagos, Cape Town, Sakara, or even in the valley. It doesn't matter what your background, it doesn't experience. You can actually contribute to changing the face of technology and innovation. Now, I know that deep down inside, everybody in this room is global community of innovators out of the if you didn't believe me, you wouldn't be here. But I also know that there is a wider community out there of people who have very serious doubts that you can internationally from here make changes that will change the course of the economic world. But this is not new. We've had doubts like this before. I remember, like I mentioned uh, in the beginning, when I started my career as a software developer in Lagos, Nigeria, there were people who doubted that the tech ecosystem in Africa would ever come to anything. There were people who would ask me when I was going to get a real job and what I was doing building software in Lagos, Nigeria, and what was the future of tech in Africa. A lot of people didn't believe it would happen. But we believed it would happen. You believed it would happen. You bet on technology. Did your startups, you learned, you failed, you thought of the game, you kept trying. And gradually you began to generate signals. These signals spread from your location, your locality, across the country, across the region, the world. And people began to take notice. And it was 
those things that, that attracted a lot of people, like our CEO, Mark Zuckerberg, when he came here to see things for himself and verify that what he was hearing was good. And it was that visit that opened the eyes of the world and the doubters who then began to take notice that yes, maybe this thing that we're doing, maybe it's actually good. And I'll tell you one thing. As an African in California, when you monitor news from the region, there are specific news items that meet your heart and make you walk with pride when you walk with those And the bulk of those news items have to do with the technical system. I'll let that sink in. The bulk of the positive of leaving news items from this region have to do with the work that you So, I want to let you know that we believe in you, and that's why we're doing this conversation. That's why we invite you to come and play with us. Thank you very much.
So we have a long way to go. So for us, we need to talk about connectivity, and the first connectivity is we have to look at people who are on 2G or people who are not connected. So on the right side, uh, you see basically the graph, people who are on 2G or not connected, which is the white. And you can see the middle, you know, the DLC, and suddenly there are a lot of people that you don't even see in the initial map. So for us, it's important to address these needs. We don't think 2G is a good connectivity. When was the last time you were able to download a video on GPS or Edge? It's not really appropriate for this kind of communication, and obviously there are still people who are not connected. So this is important, and we spend a lot of time and resources at Facebook to try to work on uh, these connectivity problems. So let me shift a little bit to discuss how Facebook addresses connectivity. It's really important to understand how we sort of approach this. And the keyword there is partner. You're not going to see Facebook network in Uganda or Facebook network in Kenya or in South Africa. You're going to see us working with local operators, local service providers to try to improve connectivity. That's really how we, do, how we approach connectivity globally. It's a big problem and we move on. So we look at connectivity from three uh, major areas. One is the experiences, which basically try to bring people online. The connectivity is there, but they can't afford it or they don't think it's relevant. The second thing, we use analytics, our tools to help plan infrastructure. And then the third, you have to deploy infrastructure at the end of the day. No, you cannot connect people if there is no infrastructure, and that's really hard. So I'm going to talk about, give you some examples on the three areas. Let's first talk about sort of experiences. Experiences is actually a simple. We develop applications where mobile operators to provide free certain websites, certain content to users. Um, it's called Free Basics, and we've done it around the world and with a lot of operators in Africa. And the reason that we did this is really to first make it free at the beginning for users who don't know why they should, they can't afford the internet to go online. And then second, provide the relevant content whether they're going to start learning and seeing the YouTube And a lot of the people convert to buying their services. So it's good for the operator, it's good for everyone. And, and we've, uh, we've, uh, we brought 100 billion people online through this program. Very, very powerful. So that's one way that we're just going to do it, and we're going to continue to do it. The second way is analytics. I spent a little bit of time on this. Uh, and basically, you know, you see the chart that we provided earlier about Facebook connectivity population density. We have a lot of data that we leverage to be able to do planning and to accelerate planning. So I'm going to give you an example on how, um, how we do planning. There are two areas here that we should uh, think about. One, we provide that data to operators to see actually how people experience. It's like the biggest drive test. So that helps operators look at their network and expand. And the second part is advanced network planning, which is basically instead of planning in weeks and months, we can actually run network plans in literally minutes or hours. And we use that to iterate and to develop plans. So let me give you one example on how we use network planning. And I don't know how many of you are familiar with fiber. Uh, fiber infrastructure, if you look at outside, you know, people are probably sometimes digging the street putting uh, ducks and then putting tables. It's actually an old technology, but it's a very, very important technology. Without no internet, it's the backbone of the electricity here. But it is expensive to deploy, and a lot of operators duplicate it. Everyone deploy their own, and it's very expensive, especially for us, we need to really sort of optimize. So how do we use analytics to solve this problem? So we use a tool called Advanced Network Planning that operators not only optimize their network, but also uh, how to share network factors. I'm going to run through an example of Africa, city of how this looks like. So you take a city in Africa, one operator decides, I want to build a network. They look at all of their big towers in the city that they want to connect, and they do the one. They go, they do the plan, they look at the street, and they plan how they're going to connect. They come up with a distance, let's say, 363 kilometers, and they're going to cost some $4 million, which is cheap in this example. 
And they're going to connect 174 towers, because once you bring fiber to the tower, the tower has enough capacity. And it's going to cost some $20,000 per site. So they did the business case, they want to go ahead. The second competitor said, ah, I'm not going to be left behind. I'm going to also build my infrastructure. They do the same planning. Their towers are slightly different. They come up with a slightly different line, but there's a lot of overlap. They're going to go the same street, sometimes exactly the same. Sometimes they dig over each other's network. And I've seen this in Lagos, and I've seen this in other areas. So they both going to spend uh, about 700 kilometers, 660, $7 million. They connect total sites, 270, and they're going to site for cost, which is really the business case, whether they should connect a site or not. It's too expensive. It doesn't cook microwave, which is really very high uh, uh, capacity. So at Facebook, what do we do? We basically um, provide tools that try to optimize this process. And they try to optimize it, they try to optimize it in three dimensions. One, they just lower the cost. You can have machines that can run many scenarios, and you're able with those scenarios within sort of minutes to take like the shortest route, the most optimized. You can also maximize value. A lot of these operators, when they plan, they just have a certain number of sites where there's congestion that they want to consider. Sometimes there's a site next to it. They can connect it while they're at because they have to plan for the future. And the third one is exactly planning for the future. Look at today, we're putting infrastructure for 3G, 4G, but 5G is around the corner. Why don't you plan for 5G while we're putting 4G infrastructure? Because the cost is not going to be significantly higher. It's maybe 10, 20%. Do it now, and then you're ready. You don't have to go back and dig the streets again later, and it's going to be a problem more expensive. Here's, uh, so we try to basically run plans as half time among so I'm going to go back to the original example. So the two operators try and base the network. This is what they come up with, with a lot of computation. We run our tool. In this example, we actually are able to connect all of their sites, both operators, with only 550 kilometers. So it's cheaper. And you connect double the north site. I'm actually going to just put the slide, which is going to uh, compare. So basically, we're able to do it, and much cheaper. And connecting more sites, future-proofing the network, and we give them the plan, and we help also support the investment. Okay, let me, um, so that's about planning. Um, but once you've done planning, you need to put infrastructure. So I'm going to go through like four examples of infrastructure um, project at Facebook. But we have many more, uh, and we'll talk about that at the end. So one is a telecom project. So very interesting. Um, when Facebook started to develop um, their data centers and their infrastructure, the computing, the storage, what we did is basically we, um, we started a project called the Open Computing Project. You guys can go to that online. We tried to standardize everything. What we tried to do is we tried to make sure that the software and the hardware in our data centers is open source. And to do that, the reason to do that is for one cost, reduce the cost, because when you have more control. Second, flexibility, we can move faster, either dependent on the vendor. And third, you can scale. So we're bringing the same sort of kind of philosophy to the telecom infrastructure network. Today, telecoms, the way it works, you just go to the vendor. There are two or three big vendors, and you buy from them. So what we're going to do, we're going to change that to the open, uh, the open source software and hardware. Within the telecom industry. So, what we've done is we worked with but the, the two community projects, telecom and uh, project community, and today we have hundreds of operators together uh, system integrators, equipment vendors, to develop the internet infrastructure of tomorrow that is open source. Everyone has the option to do it, everyone can uh, innovate, everyone can uh, add certain more features. Um, so this sort of community is working across the value chain for the internet. If you look at the internet, your connection is as good as your weakest link. So if you're in a country that doesn't have access to subterranean capacity, they suffer from cost. If your car network or your car transport, the back room to the city is not there, it's going to have uh, issues at the uh, uh, at the end of the connection. If your access network doesn't have 4G or uh, 3G, you're going to also suffer. So they work across this data chain to develop 
hardware and software so that people can almost like build their own telecom infrastructure to make it easier. So out of this uh, community uh, came out actually a lot of hardware and software and uh, we are uh, trialing some of this with farmers uh, in the DRC and uh, Mozambique and South Africa, uh, both like the open radio access networks, so this is basically open source software and hardware access network, like a 3G or 4G network, um, and also uh, routers, secondary satellite gateways. Another area you've probably uh, heard of this is Express Wi-Fi. Uh, so Facebook has an Express Wi-Fi platform, and the mission is really uh, providing fast and reliable uh, Wi-Fi whenever the service is needed. Um, and this is sort of critical. We all are very familiar with Wi-Fi, and you know it complements 3G and 4G, and we need to continue to develop that. So this is uh, a software as a service platform. And the objective of this, uh, of this one is really to help uh, small businesses operate profitable and grow a Wi-Fi business. So it helps you build a business, operate it, it gives you intelligence and analytics to understand your customers, and it helps also monetize. Monetize Wi-Fi. Sometimes you can get sort of just free Wi-Fi ads or you do service uh, where you pay for it. Uh, so we've deployed uh, multiple farms around the world, including in Africa, uh, to support the service platform. And I think we have an example that we've done in Kenya. Uh, let me see, I think there's a video. And we're going to... I never imagined I would bring internet to my computer. I opened a clothing store that does not discriminate whether you are Chinese or not.
So uh, Facebook will be working uh, in, in several countries, including those who are public today, like in the DRC. I don't know if many of you guys have been to the DRC. It's a fascinating uh, country, and connectivity is really difficult in a lot of areas. Uh, so you have to basically provide cheap uh, cell sites and uh, uh, to be able to, uh, to connect people. And we work with a partner called um, Africa Mobile Networks in DRC, in Cameroon, and other places to try to develop this kind of new business model, uh, model for connectivity. Finally, I'm going to talk about another program that is close to my heart. I spend a lot of time actually working on this, uh, which is fiber infrastructure. And uh, as I said earlier, fiber is really the backbone uh, of the internet. It's almost like they just without it, it doesn't work. But to put this infrastructure on the ground, this is a 15, 20 years of infrastructure. It's really the future. It's actually an old technology. I always joke by saying it's a lagging indicator. And it is true. Uh, but once you put fiber, you never replace it by another technology because you know you can imagine in one sort of fiber pair, you can have almost the entire internet of Africa. Um, and, and in this sort of infrastructure, we deploy actually hundreds of fiber lines. So to deploy that, you know, sometimes you do get a fiber on the right side, where you just use sort of the poles to pull, and sometimes you have to dig the infrastructure. And as I showed sort of earlier, when you dig the infrastructure, 90% of your cost is that, three souls. The material and the technology is maybe 10% of the cost. So you can put a lot of ducts and a lot of fiber, so why don't you sort of share? So what we've done at Facebook is we have this program uh, called Open Transport Network where we encourage operators to share infrastructure and to, to deploy and we work with them to actually make this investment. So I'm going to show you a video, uh, an example that we did. We did this by the way in three countries. These are public. There are additional deployments in one, but these are the ones that we completed. We did in Nigeria, in Edo, at Open State, we also in Lagos project. Uh, we have a project in, uh, in Johannesburg with another operator that's called Vast Networks. And we've done a project in Uganda. And uh, you know, I was there before sort of the project started to look at uh, the areas. And I'm going to talk about it in, uh, in the next video just to show you how we decided to work with operators in Uganda, Northwest Uganda, the, the board of the GRC and, uh, and South Sudan, where operators did not believe there was a business case for fiber infrastructure. And we're like, no, let's try, let's see um, how it works. And we worked in this case with Airtel, uh, Airtel Uganda, and VCS, uh, and uh, that was uh, services, which is actually a Kenya Nairobi based uh, operators that has infrastructure in, uh, in East Africa. So we worked together. Uh, so let's, uh, let's watch sort of this video how it takes really to put this important infrastructure in the remote areas of Africa. Actually, it provides 3G connectivity. This could not have happened. 
if you have not been able to pulverize long distances. I think the people who went and dug their trenches and built the fiber, we must give a full heart out to them for what they have done.